I hope we can still be friends after today. That's one of those messages. Um, we just read that Jesus, if Jesus is Lord, you have to forgive me. And so I hope that that will be the case in the next few moments together. I'm going to speak about pure devotion. We're leading up to Christmas. What a great way to think about pure devotion and what does that mean? We're living in times that we've never lived in before. Of course, that makes sense. We've never had this day before. We don't know what tomorrow is going to be like. We don't know until tomorrow happens, until we, we reach tomorrow. And while we can say there are a lot of things that have repeated over the, over the earth, over times in political regimes and, and conquests and ideas and thoughts, we're living in a, in a very, very new era indeed. I hope to speak on some of that in the, in the new year. But I really feel that this message is to prepare us. So I hope that you receive hope this morning. I hope and trust and pray that you will not disengage with this message, but you'll ask God to apply the relevant parts that maybe relate to you in your life and that you would do something with it. Let's come, let's hear the Word of God. Let's believe that when we do this together, that the sense that we together is really important that we worship together, that we commune together, that we have things in common together, and ultimately that we can celebrate Christ in this place and take his word to heart and do something with it. So I'm going to speak about three influences that impact on our pure devotion. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says this. He says, but I am afraid. We don't read about this a lot where Paul actually reveals himself. What we learn in Corinthians, mostly is we get to see Paul's heart. One is because he's defending his apostleship. There's other false prophets and teachers. There's lots of things going on in the community, in the air in the community. The sentiment in the community is really anti-Christian. And at this point, it's really anti-Paul. So Paul is actually, in a sense, defending himself, but he does it in a magnificent way. So it's very personal. And Paul says this, I am afraid. You don't read that really anywhere else in Scripture where Paul is saying, I am afraid. Well, what are you afraid of, Paul? Well, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Now, I know there are some people, some Christians, who don't believe in the Genesis account. Um, they believe it's just a, a good story, just a, a fable, if you like. But Paul doesn't. Paul's even making reference here to the fact that it is a sure reality. And there are other scriptures, in fact, that we get to read. Where even Jesus makes mention and endorses that thought. Let me read this again to you. But I'm afraid, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. If there was ever a time that we need to heed this and listen to this, it is right now, friend. Please don't think you're signed, sealed and delivered. You need to understand something. Your pure devotion is critical to the life flow of what God wants to say and do in our lives. This word deceived means seduced. It means groomed. It's a very disturbing word. The world is very appealing. Even strange and unconnected doctrines need to be scrutinised. Otherwise, we can be what? Easily led astray. That means corrupted or wither away. So sometimes it's very sudden. 
And we've seen this, and other times it's just a gradual decline in your faith. Not connecting regularly on Sundays, not involved in other extra uh, connections with groups and like, like ones of faith. You start to isolate and separate. I understand there's, there's health and other factors, I get that, but in general sense of it. Then we look at sincere. This means single-mindedness, not self-seeking, free from uh, prejudice and hypocrisy. To what? To pure devotion. It means, this means full-hearted worship, singleness of mind and heart. Friends, I'm concerned that the church has become too attractive. I'm really concerned and I believe this is a prophetic message for this church and for every church that exists today. We have become too accommodating for the world. Now there's a real warning here because in the old school preachers preached about us and the world and this is a little bit like that but I want you to be warned. I'm not teaching a separate doctrine because what happens is then we, we, don't, we are not any good. We don't relate to the world and then we can't connect with the world to share the gospel. See the dilemma? And so old school doctrine would teach, we are this, this is the world, ah, get behind me, Satan. And there's a reality to that. But what happens is it's become no good at our effect to win the world, as we heard before, that we are ambassadors commissioned to do. There's a dilemma. Some of you go, oh boy, this was a good Sunday to stay home in bed. The catalyst for Christ's likeness and fruitfulness is to be challenged enough to be relevant for today's generation without contamination or loss of authenticity and uniqueness. That was my quote. I like that. It's pretty good, isn't it? Of course it is, because it's really wordy. I'm a very wordy guy. Anyway, <laughs> let's not forget the enemy seeks to destroy God's work here. The enemy seeks to wound the church of God. The enemy seeks to paralyse the church, remove all clarity and mission effectiveness. And the enemy seeks to steal, kill and destroy and I hope today, there's no guarantee that you're here today that you are saved. I hope you are. I hope Jesus is your Lord. We've been singing about that. He's our Lord and our Saviour. If He's not Lord, He's not Saviour. And if He's not Saviour, He's not Lord. You and I need to choose and make sure we know who we are and where we are. But first know this, the last days are described as both a falling away and a revival. Paul warns us in 2 Timothy, but mark this, put it in your calendar, he would say, put it in your phone, put it in your app, mark it in there, write it on the wall, inscribe it somewhere, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. I don't know about you, but I think we're living in the last days. I don't know how far into that, but I think we're living in that space. I think it's going to get worse. So this is the dilemma. We're all talking about, can't wait for the end times. Can't wait for the last days. Oh, it's going to be so exciting. It will be, but you're probably going to lose your life maybe. It's going to be tough. It's so interesting now, but even my messages, I have to put on podcast now. I now have checks and balances. I have to sign off to say that there's no content that offends anyone. And if I don't sign off on that, it won't go up. These are new things that they're putting in. It's constant. I just read the other day in Facebook that there's no, uh, you cannot, I think, they're looking to ban the Lord's Prayer being posted. So I've seen everyone going, post the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> We're living in times, terrible times. It means perilous, hard to live in times, to bear up. And this is why we're going to see a lot of people lose their faith. 
because they're not going to want it. They want to compromise. I want people to like me. Well, do you? Do you want to live with Jesus or do you want to live somewhere else? You choose the neighbourhood. Okay, I told you it was one of those messages. Get back to the notes, Louis. Second Thessalonians, in summary, in chapter 2, says that there will be a great falling away in the last days. It is a biblical prophecy that many Christians will abandon their faith and be deceived by false teaching before the second coming of Christ. Now, 1 Timothy 4, it says this, the Holy Spirit tells us in plain words. The Holy Spirit takes what may seem complicated and makes it really simple. If you've got something complicated, if the gospel is complicated, you complicated it. I complicated it, not the Holy Spirit. I was laughing, I spoke to someone, and I'll be careful to say any names of craft last week. We had a chat, and I was talking about a previous pastor, that they had a chat with this pastor, and they told him that they don't like his messages and they're leaving the church because they can't understand what he's saying. His words are too educational, too up here, too intellectual. I laughed. I think a few people who were there would recall that conversation. We're not meant to be like that. The, the gospel's not meant to be so hard that you and I can't go, what is this guy saying? The Holy Spirit tells us in plain words that in the last days some will abandon or uh, will turn away. It means to abandon, desert, uh, be taken away from the faith. They'll listen to what is said about spirits and follow teachings about demons. We're going to get to that in a minute. Those who teach this tell it as the truth when they know it's a lie. It's one thing to be deceived. If you're deceived, you don't know if you're deceived. Otherwise you wouldn't be deceived by definition. They are preaching a message, they are doing, they are sharing information, but they know it's wrong. They know it's not true, and they're doing it. Look what happens when that happens. Those who teach this tell it as truth when they know it is a lie. They do it so that their own hearts no longer say it is wrong. In other words, if you want to hang around sin long enough, you will not see it as sin anymore. If you watch things you're not meant to be watching, one day you go, hey, that's okay. One day you're having conversation with someone, you're a gossip. If you're a gossip, one day you will see that as normal language for you. And gossip's a big deal. It's with all the other sins in the Bible. We have to guard against worldliness in the church. There's a great importance of holding the purity of the gospel. I'm not getting a few amens today. I don't know if I'm preaching heresy. As followers of Christ, we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. Is that true? Isn't it hard? So how do we do that? How do we hold to the fact of what we believe, and yet we've got these teachings of doctrines of demons right now that are around about us like we've never seen before? Setting people up, setting the church up. There's a lot more on that that's happening and we'll maybe talk about that in the new year. We have to guard against worldliness in the church. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, sorry, chapter 2, verse 11, pardon me, says this, For who knows the thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no, no, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have received not the Spirit, listen to this, we have not received the Spirit of the world, But we 
have received the Spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Emphasis, we have not received the Spirit of the world. And, I, and I'm concerned that we are going into a time where we're, we're selling our soul. We're selling our soul to be relevant. Well, we should be relevant. And people should be able to understand the message. But if we are no different to how they're living, if we're no different to what they're saying and how they're talking and what they're watching, then what will they be changed to? And what will they be changed from? Man, I thought this was a happy, chappy, clappy church. (laughs) Maybe the former, not the latter. Friend, when the spirit of the church is no different from the spirit of the world, we are in trouble. There are three hell thoughts about what the spirit of the world actually means. It means demonic spirit. One thought is demonic spirit, or perhaps Satan in particular. Number two, it means a mindset that is foreign to and opposed to the spirit of God. Number three, it speaks of secular philosophy and worldly wisdom. I would say it leans more in two and three. It seems the most popular interpretation here is that the spirit of the world is the world's attitude. Inclination, tendency, atmosphere, mood and frame of mind reflecting an ungodly and unholy inclination. We've been singing holy, holy, holy. Do we remember what that word is? We know that God is holy. Without holiness, no one will see him. So he imparts holiness. We are only holy because he made us holy. I'm digressing. But we also, it says be holy, which means we have to choose to walk in holiness. And we can only do that because he first <coughs> gave it to us. Turn to the person next to you and say hello. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, I'm getting too excited. That's what happens. This doctrine of demons, you think about it, it speaks about worldly wisdom or philosophy, false teaching, false prophets, shaken by troubles and the pressures of lives. <coughs> Excuse me. Hard or closed hearts and sadly many will lose their faith in the many scriptures that relates at 1 Timothy 4, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Matthew 13. We read people give up because, of the, because life's so hard. James 3.15 says, Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Here we go. Some of you thought, haven't heard this before. Well, this is what James is saying. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Well, what is he talking about? He's talking about taming the tongue. He's talking about learning to live right and say the right things because of Christ. But he says this most of all, it relates to being selfish, having a selfish ambition. And he's speaking in that place that that is selfish ambition is not a wisdom that comes from heaven. It talks about a divisive spirit that is unwilling, that is willing, sorry, to win at any cost. In Philippians 2, 3, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. See, when believers think and act like the world, it highlights a drift that's happened in our hearts. A slow slide has occurred from our first love and we become hard of hearing and we have losing our sight. We cannot see Christ and that is not a good place to be. It is crucial that we understand the dangers of allowing worldly influences to infiltrate our spiritual 
beliefs. So we're going to talk at scriptures now and look at three things, three influences that impact our pure devotion. Number one, understand the power of worldly influence. Romans 13, 14 speaks about put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why are we encouraged to do that? Because of the worldly influence, the world in which we live, that we need to be mindful of walking in Christ every single day. And that's where the battle is. It says, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. It means no provision means in the Greek, absolute denial. Do everything you can to analyse your temptations and fight your sinful tendencies. We need to practice our faith. Put those things means to believe and live it out. Can people see that you're a Christian? Can people tell that you're a Christian? It's not just talking about these words or just going to church. Oh, I go to church. That doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to the garage makes you a mechanic. Put Jesus on. Sink into invest. Except Robbie up there, he's a mechanic. Okay, Reflect his life into your life. We must recognise and discern the subtle ways in which the world seeks to infiltrate our lives and the church. Think of some of the things that we have around about us now. I'm just speaking a real, real message here. Materialism, I believe it's the worship of materials. Secularism, it's the worship of self. Hedonism is the worship of pleasure. And moral relativism is the worship, I believe, and this is one of the things I feel is a demonic thought right now. I think this is a demonic teaching. This is a doctrine of demons right now. This moral relativism. What does it mean? It means that moral or morality has no objective standard. In other words, you're hearing this a lot now. You're seeing this happen and it's outplaying in our day today, right now. It is the worship of self-opinion. You know, who knows that's true and you read it. I see stuff and I go, oh, I, I can't even get into this argument because it's, it's going to go forever. It's the worship of self-opinion. It says there is no absolute moral truth. It is what you deem to be right or true for you. It is what? My truth. And Christians, we don't have my truth. We have his truth. Our truth should never supersede, uh, my truth should never supersede his truth, the Bible truth. That's a bad way to be. That's a bad place to live if we're going to do that. I'm saying anyone is. This is a warning. This is a hope of preparation and preparing us for the generations to come after us. This view holds that the current position and standpoint according to the environment we live in. In other words, it's influenced more by what happens in the world than happens through, through our hearts in Christ. It's influenced by subjective truth. If it feels good for me, my truth, if it doesn't hurt anyone, I have free moral agency, don't I? This is what we're dealing with. Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of the world. Don't form that pattern of thinking, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Conformity is trying to be the same. As Christians, we are not the same. As I said, we've got to be careful. We get to this separatist doctrine where there's us, Christians, and the world. No, we've got to understand that we're here. We are in the world to represent the kingdom of God, but we are not of the world. We're not of the same nature that the world is thinking. And that is difficult. 
So my friends who are not followers of Jesus, the friends that we are building a relationship with is a really tightrope of walking between how much to, to be a witness in our own relationship and then how much to know when to say certain things. But one thing needs to be clear, that we are different and they need to know that. They need to know that. If people don't know you're a Christian, you need to take that up with the Holy Spirit. We're not meant to be the same. In 1 John 2, it says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Wow. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So I'm concerned and I hope that in the future, that we can learn as we live in, a, in this world, in this day and age, that there are doctrines and teachings of demons. There are things being said. Now, we don't, if someone comes up and they have a different opinion or a different doctrine to you, you go, that's a doctrine of demons. Well, you're not going to win, win them with that. Don't start with that. Maybe you can finish with that months down the track and, and say, oh, finally, you've realised. But don't do that. Pray for them. Your relationship is so important here. But if there's nothing different about you, then there's nothing attractive of the kingdom of God. Why would they inquire? Why would they ask? Why would they want to change if there's no change? Hey, come on. Am I preaching the truth? I feel like I'm the only one here. Hey, oh, fingers are pointing at me. Don't worry. I've got stuff to work through too. Do not love the world and anything of the world. Everyone loves the world. The love of the Father is not him. To love the world means to have sympathy for it to crave its ways and its desires and appetites is more important than God's. So we have to love people, but we don't have to love the world. Remember this, Jesus was a friend to sinners. So we know how to, we, know how to, we should be friendly. We know how to be friendly with the sinner, but we're not a friend of the world. Is that true? I think so. Okay. You remember David when we talked about the lust of the flesh and the eyes and look at David and his journey. Got to a certain point, certain position. Oh, pretty cool being king. Oh, look at my lovely balcony. Oh, hello, look over there. Woohoo. Psalm 109, David lusted after Bathsheba. We have Achan. Achan, Achan always remember him because he was aching. He's always in pain. Anyway, Achan. He lusted after wealth, took some gold that he shouldn't to from a battle and then Israel started losing the battles and then they go, someone sinned here. David says, pull everybody out. Someone's done something wrong here. Achan lusted after the wealth and worshipped wealth really and brought defeat and great loss to Israel. Psalm 119 says, turn your eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. We are called to be preserved and God will do that according to His Word. If we're reading the Word, listening to the Word, praying, seeking God, surely God is going to speak to us and minister. I, I'm going to be... No, don't, don't go there, Louis. I'll leave that for another day. This has come up to Christmas. I don't want to ruin anyone's Christmas. James 4.4 4 says this, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world 
means humility or enemy against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world, think of this, instantly becomes an enemy of God. I don't want to be an enemy of God. So how do I be a Christian? How do I have this pure devotion before God? How do I live in the world but not be of it? How do I do what I need to do? And how do I stand out and be all that Christ has called me to be? That is the message. That is the dilemma. That is the challenge. Back to pure devotion. That is what we have to consider in this time and age. Because the more we shift to looking like the world, the more we do that, then we're no different. You can't say that, Pastor, but I have a faith in Jesus. Well, you started having a faith in Jesus, but the Bible says that you can start well, but are you going to finish well? I know some of you go, oh my goodness, I'm just warming up. I actually worked out this message would be 50 minutes, so I've had to trim it back. Anyway, don't worry, it won't be that long. Some of you go, what the? Friendship with the world means to be at odds or against God. It means to hold a hostile and opposing position to God. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Do we remember that? Either you will hate one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. We can't just compromise anymore. We can't say, well, I've got God here on Sunday and I've got God here when I go to this meeting in that group. That's it. And there's no other God. There's no God part of your life, part of your week. That can't happen. That's not, that's not being real. That's not being ambassadors. That's not being ministers of reconciliation. What you got to offer? Well, we'll go there. So we need to understand the influence of the world is very, very powerful. Romans says this, however, you are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. We're not born again. We cannot be born again without God's working. Romans 8, 9, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. Understand how powerfully worldly influences are. Understand that we're in very vulnerable times. And there are lots of teachings out there right now. Your attitude to the things of God, your attitude to the things of Christ, your attitude to fellowship, your attitude to the ministry of one another is a sign and a witness if you're a Christian or not. Now, I don't want to get into law here because we believe in Galatians. I want to preach Galatians next year about the grace and it is a battle between law and grace. Shouldn't be. We are under grace. But friends, we need to be waking up. We need to be challenged. Number two, understand the influence of renewal and personal or pure devotion. 1 Timothy 4, 12c says this, show them how to live in faith and in love and in holy living. Show them. Show them. Understand what happens. And you can only do that if Christ is renewed in your heart, if Christ is your Lord and Saviour. Have a look at some of the challenges in life. 2 Timothy 3.5 says, Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be what? Lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not love, brutal, brutal. That's a Louis. Not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And it says in verse 4, having a form. 
of godliness, but denying its power. And the scripture goes on to say, have nothing to do with them. Now, if we really did that, how many would be excommunicated tomorrow? How many? I'm just saying. Not just here, anywhere. Have nothing to do with them. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Why? Because where does the power come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. It's a humbling and concerning list this is. But the power is the regeneration and sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit who helps us to live for Him. To counter worldly influences, we need to focus on building spiritual renewal and holiness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God in Matthew 6. Our spiritual disciplines, which correlate to being a disciple, okay, means that when we are seeking renewal, it is pivoting us towards and drawing our hearts to God and His purpose as His people rather than flirting with the world. And I flirted with the world and I know what the other side of the world is and it's a miserable thing. Sin will always cost you more than you're willing to pay. Sin will take you further than you're willing to go. And sin will keep you longer under than you're willing to stay under. We think we can get away with it. Relationships, agreements, conversations, these things, my goodness. I believe this is prophetic in the sense that God is alarming, sounding an alarm to the church and for Christians to, to get back on track, get our heart right, look at what our priorities are, look at how we are living and get our lives and give our lives back to Jesus again. We all should be up the front here this morning going, Jesus, forgive me, I'm a sinner. But saved by grace. Renewal is deepening our relationship with God. Renewal is turning back to our first love. Renewal is having a sense of restored faith. Renewal amongst believers and as a church family is usually birthed in a place of holy discontent that leads to a time of preparation. We don't change unless we are threatened to change. Some of you will never run. You've done, you've old and you say, I'm not going to run anymore. If there's a bull chasing you, you'd probably run. You'd do anything. You'll be moving. That bull's coming. You'll be moving. It's motivation. It's motivation. Jesus made a strong distinction that the pressures of life is too much for a of a temptation and influence without the Holy Spirit. That is why the heart of any church by its very nature and existence should be a place of restoration in the biblical sense. It is the narrative from Genesis to Revelation. The word restoration or to be restored is to receive back more that has been lost to the point where the final state is greater than the original condition. Restoration is to receive back more than has been lost to the point where the final state is greater than the original condition. Think of Job. So your prayer and Bible reading and regular fellowship isn't a waste of time. You need it. We need it. We need to stay connected. We need to stay connected to the vine. These fingers, if I cut this finger off right now and leave it there, it is not part of the body anymore. 
I can say that's my little finger over there, but it's not. It's going to die. It needs to be connected to the body. We need to be connected to the body of Christ. The ultimate goal of restoration is renewal. Inviting the Holy Spirit to encounter our space, to be presence saturated. In 2 Corinthians 3, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. And you and we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are what? Being transformed into His image with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. One more point and we're going to close. Understand the influence of being a witness to the world. As a church, we are called to be a beacon and a light in darkness. If that light loses its shine, if it loses its brightness, how do we know? How do I know? Acts 1.8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem and Samaria. God's ideal for us is to be ambassadors and to be witnesses of His transforming life. His life incarnated into our life brings about a change that people can see. Now, we don't have to wear different costumes and put things on our head and wear certain clothes and dresses and ribbons and colours. We just need to be real. We need to give thanks as an eclectic expression of gratitude not to be denied, defined, sorry, or moulded by the appetites and desires of the world. By living differently from the world, we are showcasing Christ's love, His compassion, yeah, and righteousness as we demonstrate the transforming power of Christ around us. In 1 Timothy now 4.12b, it says this, but set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity. The Bible teaches that simply we are different. Maybe you like it or not. I've had people reject me because of my faith. I've had a whole heap of different situations, even in the church, different things that would change because of maybe my position or what I believe, and they reject me. So do I change? Do I stop? Do I compromise? So, oh, okay, well, let's find a happy medium. I still love them. I still reach out to I still believe in them. I'm not saying one's more right and wrong, but I'm just saying we need to know who we are in Christ. There has to be something very clear about who we are that suggests that we are different. The spirit of the world has no place in the church, and for that matter, our hearts and lives. The spirit that undermines our identity, our authority, his grace, and our purpose. The observation to be holy must be seen. It must be felt and it must be witnessed. I'm getting ready to close if the musos come up forward. Whoever. In James 3.13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in all humility. That comes from the wisdom, the wisdom of heaven. Matthew 24, 42 says, Jesus says, so always be ready because you don't know the day that the Lord returns. Always be ready because we don't know 
If the church ever gets to the point that it grieves the Holy Spirit and does not repent, or any believer for that matter of fact, then we only have to look at the book of Revelation to see how dreadful that outcome will be. Jesus prayed this, very important. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So we're not meant to be taken out, so we live while we live here, but he says, I will give you the strength. I will empower you. I will help you. And he prays to the Father to keep you and me, even today, from the, whole, from the evil one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray today that we are to commit ourselves as a church to guarding against worldliness and worldly influences that strive to, to keep us from your teachings and from your love. God, by your spirit, we want to worship you with pure devotion and the simplicity and the full-hearted worship that you have asked us to give. And we ask for your guidance and discerning your way. Father, we understand how powerful these worldly influences are. You understand that. As we understand the influence of renewal and devotion is critical. And that we also understand that our witness is paramount as we are called to be your light in this dark world. So help us, Lord, to be vigilant in preserving the sacredness of your promise of being faithful, trusting your word and your teachings deeply. And while the gospel may be unpleasant to some, whatever we do, let our, your love, shine through. Thank you, Father, in this work. Thank you, Father, that's a sobering message. In a day where there's so many appetites and there's so many pleasures in the world, there's so many delights in the world. And Father, we can get caught up in that, but forgive us because we know that you've called us and you've appointed us for a purpose and a mission and help us to stay on track with that. Help us to be true to who you are, but help us to understand how do we reach people who have or listen or been indoctrinated by demons and other teachings, Father, how do we reach them? We ask you, help us today. Give us the strength and lead us by your Holy Spirit. That we don't disconnect, but we find a way to connect, bridge the gap, and preach Jesus and him crucified. This we ask in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen.